I'm Kyle Rode, and this is the Rebel HR Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Rebel HR is a podcast for HR professionals who are ready to make some disruption in the world of work. Follow us online on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, rebelhumanresources.com, or follow me on Twitter at Rebel HR Guy. Each week we'll be discussing topics that are disruptive to the world of work and talk about new and different ways to approach solving those problems. Right now, Human Resources is being called on more than ever to be a business partner and a value-added resource to help our team succeed. Really excited about today's show. We're going to be talking about managing through disruption. We are recording this show at the end of June 2020, so uh, there's plenty of disruption to be found. I'm excited about today's guest. For those of you that don't know, I am a co-founder of Disrupt HR Cedar Valley. And today's guests are the other co-founders of Disrupt HR Cedar Valley. It's an information exchange designed to question the way that we work, challenge assumptions, and drive change in a disruptive environment. So we're going to be talking about one of the primary disruptions in the world of human resources. No shocker here. The pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic, has caused us to change everything about the way that we work and placed an additional burden on HR. HR has an opportunity to be a stabilizing force through this disruption, and we're going to be talking about how we manage through that, through our teams, and through value-added human resourcing. Let's get started. So I'd like to kick it off. First off, uh, Molly, if you can just give us a little introduction about yourself. I think you have a a fascinating story, and uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your role. Thanks, Kyle. Excited to be here. So I have been in HR for 10 wonderful years. Days never the same, right? Which is kind of why I love it. My background, I've been in both manufacturing, which is where I started in the HR world. um, And now I'm actually in a retail sales organization. So that experience um, in both those industries have given me lots to go off of. Um, I did go to Upper Iowa for both my undergrad and my MBA. That's about it. That's about it. There's a lot more to the story with Molly. She uh, she keeps it all uh, you know very well hidden, but uh, doing it doing a great job. And currently the president of the local Cedar Valley Society for HR Management, SHRM. If anybody's familiar with that, doing a great job leading us through a absolutely crazy year with COVID nineteen, racial unrest, murder hornets, and now we have a dust cloud coming from Sahara, evidently. So. Uh, Patrick, my brother from another mother, who is uh, always keeping me honest and making sure that uh, we have the X's and O's mapped out. Patrick, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I love the killer hornets. That's my favorite, and I can't wait to see him here in Iowa. Uh, thanks, Kyle. My name is Patrick Moran. I've been in operations leadership and HR for the better part of 14, 16 years, something like that. Start, graduated from Iowa in 05 and started my uh, career in food service, a general manager of operations and corporate dying in a very large company. And now I'm in my HR director role. I've done uh, the presidential stint with Sherm with both Kyle and Molly and others and uh, can right now serve it on our state council for Sherm and 
happy to be a part of this and talk a little disruption. Sounds good. Really appreciate you two being here and, and humoring me on this uh, this crazy quest, uh, uncharted territory for all of us. But I would say one passion that we all share is the fact that the workplace is changing quickly, as is evidenced by the last six months. So we're recording this in June of 2020. And if anybody is listening to this after that date, uh, you'll recall that we have gone through COVID-19, quarantine, uh, and a number of absolutely wild uh, workplace changes within the last few months. So probably the most disruption that I have seen uh, as long as I've been in human resources. Uh, so uh, uh, perfect time to talk about our topic today, which is managing through disruption. Disruption is kind of the name of the game. And I, in my opinion, I feel like if you are going to be a people practitioner and managing and human resources or as a people manager, you better just go with the flow and stay loose because you're going to be dealing with disruption on a regular basis. So Molly, tell me a little bit about uh, what your business has seen and what have your strategies to address some of the disruptions that you've seen? What What are you guys doing? Yeah, so in my organization, um, both of them are frontline organizations. So we actually have a salon and spa that had to shut down. And we also have a um, U.S. Cellular agent, which has been an essential business. So both on the front line. And let me tell you, we have just had to adapt. We have had to make decisions. We've had to commit and then change those decisions. It has been crazy. Um, priorities shifted, just keeping everybody safe, right? That had to be the number one priority. And for me, it was really important to try to find that balance between overreacting and preparing. I think it's really important to prepare, but because things were changing so often, could easily slip between if you overreacted, it's kind of hard to get out of that. So it felt challenging at the time, but I think it was really important just to wait it out a little bit to be able to make better decisions. Yeah, so I'm curious. So how did how did your how did your leadership team lean on you as you were managing through this? So HR, I think I always tell people that us in HR, we have such an awesome position because we can have a foot and a hand in all of the different pieces. So and we're really the people that connect them all, right? So you've got finances worrying about the PL. You've got your frontline ops managers worrying about operations and how am I going to run if you're taking this attendance policy away? Got IT thinking through the technology we have or we don't have to work remotely. I mean, there's just so many pieces and HR is at the center of it, which is an awesome place to be because you can see all those different perspectives and make other people see those different perspectives and really make change and make decisions with that entire circle. HR rocks. I love HR. HR rocks. I love it. I love it. It depends on who you ask. (laughs) Depends on the day, too. That's right. That's right. HR rocks as long as it's the answer you wanted. What do we say? Is it a a whiskey day or a wine day or beer day? Yeah, that's perfect. You know, uh, my saying is uh, just my day is measured on my whiskey glass. So if I have have a couple of ice cubes in there, the day was fine. If I've got no ice cubes, it was a rough one. <laughs> oh, my husband knows when I come home and start pouring that dirty martini, he knows. <laughs> Don't talk to me. <laughs> Patrick, what's your flavor? Oh, depends what day it is. Manhattan's lately. 
Manhattans. I didn't yes. know you were still fancy. Yeah, I'm with Molly, though. Yeah, HR rocks. If you're in HR and you don't think HR rocks or you don't have a drink every day, don't be in HR, <laughs> especially right now. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, we are not recommending that people become raging alcoholics to go into human resources. <laughs> yes. Patrick, how did you find your way into HR? Oh, people. I love people. And that's why I'm in it. I hated food service, so I got out of it, and I love people, and that's why I, you know, quite frankly, my strengths were back in 2013 when I really started looking. Uh, there was two reasons I was looking. One, I was burnt out from food service. Second, our first child was on the way. So I needed to do something different where I was a little more, I think, sane, but then I came to HR. So I'm still questioning that right to this day, but I love it, so I'm okay with it. I got in here, started learning the profession, and I wish I would have learned early in the profession how disruptive it could be. My first two years, I was really spending in just focusing on this one, this one thing, this thing called HR, which I've never focused on just one uh, function, I guess, of an organization. But then I come to realize, you know what? It's all functions of an organization, like Molly pointed out earlier. We, we are the connectors to IT, to tech support, to accounting, to production, to R&D, sales, marketing, you name it. We connect them. And that's where I really started having that passion for our profession and realizing it's not just status quo. It's not just the policy police. Um, and then I found Sherem and I found you guys and my world opened, the doors opened, made it started making all these other connections. And this is kind of how I got to where I am today and leading this organ nationwide organization of over 300 employees. And it's been a lot of fun. Patrick, I think it's awesome that you have that operational background. Um, me, that I, I don't have that. And that's always a huge, like when I start a new job, I need to learn the operational piece. So you have to have that background um, mm -hmm. and that understanding to truly be good in your role. So I think that's an awesome background. You're going to do great things. I think, because I appreciate you saying that, I think it really helps when, when you can walk into an organization and have some sort of idea of, you kind of know what a PL is because I used to run a PL. The first thing I did, I challenged myself at POS was to learn every single job and every job description. If you don't do that as, as part of your fundamental role in HR, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to your organization. And once you build that foundation under you, when you run through a crisis like we are doing right now with COVID, you know exactly who to point where, how to connect certain dots, what positions could potentially go remote. Um, just having that fundamental knowledge of everything just, I think, is uh, beyond important for anybody in our profession. Couldn't agree more. Kyle, yeah, what's I, what's your yeah. history? Yeah. Oh, oh, uh, well, that's not that's not the oh. show today. So but <laughs> yeah, we got to ask the questions, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, you know, I'm, I'm one of those thousands of accidental HR practitioners. Let's just say that I uh, had an opportunity to, to step into the role. Uh, and uh, the, the role uh, was, was very disruptive. So uh, stepping into a situation where I needed to step up uh, and uh, help provide some stability. Staffing was terrible. Everybody was mad. Uh, customers weren't getting served. And uh, I didn't know the first thing about HR. When I went to school, HR wasn't uh, really a thing. I certainly couldn't get a degree in it. So I, I was a, a marketing major, and I figured I kind of understand people. And uh, so I, I ran with it. But 
since I've been in HR now, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it, it fits my, my worldview. I, as I look at, at human resources and the topic we're talking about today, and I look at workplace disruption, how to survive disruption, uh, how do I build culture, drive strategy, keep the wheels on the bus as it relates to engagement and, uh, and execution, I look at HR as one of those critical roles, and I don't know about you two, but I feel like as I'm talking to my leadership team and we're, we're strategizing and building structure on on what we're actually going to do, a lot of times uh, we'll get a question and, and uh, it gets pointed right back at the HR person, right? And uh, yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but I am not an epidemiologist. So when I get a question about COVID, I, a lot of times the honest answer is, well, I have no idea. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. So I'm curious, Patrick. You you mentioned something that I think is a is a critical component of managing through disruption, and that is the word trust. So, and 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 it was in the context of learning about the operational role that your employees play. So, tell me a little bit more about how you cultivate that trust and how you leverage that to manage through disruption. Uh, it's got to start with the people. At the end of the day, it's talking to the people. It's not. It's not sitting in your office. Force yourself to talk to people and get to know them on a personal level and share their stories and share their stories with your boss and your CEO if you have those opportunities. I'm fortunate that I do. Um, You know, and my department and a lot of HR departments and organizations run their safety programs as well. So when we talk about COVID, we're talking safety, we're talking people and their health. So when this thing blew up before uh, it got things got crazy the week of March 16th and ruined my St. Patty's day. Um, still bitter about that one, but it was a week prior to that. I was just firing off so many notes to my CEO. Hey, this could impact this group. This could impact this group. Here's what they're saying. Now we were on the phone all weekend, uh, right before March 16th and Sunday night, he called me again and yes, I had a drink in my hand and he said, you know, you're leading this whole thing. Help people understand what we can and can't get away with for people working remotely. What are some recommendations on certain hirings we need to freeze? What are the safety measures? What are the practices that CDC and um, Department of Homeland Security or Health and Human Services are saying? Those are the things I want you to focus on. We all got into a room, 17 leaders, and everybody looked at me. And I just said to myself, uh, game on. You know, now I was being recognized to say the right things and make all the right decisions. This whole thing's been such a judgment call, but my CDO to this day has been trusting me to do it all. Uh, And not just me, my team. I have a great team of two people that uh, work with me, not for me, and they're helping guide this ship as well. And my HR generalist has been dealing with the bulk of the employee issues. And, um, you know, it's it's been tough, but um, they haven't said yet we've done anything wrong. But I know we have made some bad decisions, but, you know, we threw the playbook out the window. There is no playbook for this stuff, right? We threw some policies out the window and just kind of make the judgment calls as best we can for both the company and, and our employees. That's how you build trust. Okay, you just said something. Throw policies out the window. That's why I love this during this time. Like what I've realized <laughs> through this is create creativity is fueled through disruption. Like there's so mm-hmm. many times I find myself Googling, oh, what has this done? Like trying to find best practices. And then I'm like, nope, this isn't anything I'm looking for. And 
sometimes I think that hinders us. Like, no, let's just break the mold and move forward and do what we want to do. Let's create our new policies. Let's create new actions. And in this environment, we didn't have anything to look back on. So I love, I've seen some HR people be, be really creative. So it's been awesome. Molly, you know what I would love to see you do? What? I'd love to see you make a call to all of our 180 Shura members here in the Cedar Valley. Tell everybody, let's go out to a bonfire, throw your attendance policies in that bonfire. <laughs> let's wipe the slate clean for 2021. Because at the end of the day, 98% of employers are never going to win an attendance unemployment claim. So let's just throw them out the window and start fresh. <laughs> Not saying just try, to be, just try to be at work. Just try to be here. That's what we need to do. Well, that's what we're doing now, right? Yeah. yeah. Are you guys actually adhering to a no-fault attendance policy in any of your organizations? I've, not yeah, <laughs> not not only are we changing all that, but it's totally changed our culture as far as like before. If a sick employee, somebody wasn't feeling well and didn't come in, like okay, suck it up. You just got a little headache, right? The culture <laughs> is gonna totally shift or has shifted. Like oh, you you have a little headache, stay away for ten days. <laughs> <laughs> ten to fourteen, 10 depending to 14. upon the source, right? Right. Yeah, I, uh, Patrick, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, one of Patrick's critical roles he didn't mention in his bio was the fact that he is the beer captain during Irish Fest. So, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, the St. Patrick's Day, I, I, I feel you on that, man. That That's, mm -hmm. you know, that's too bad. I, I'm, I'm really sorry for that. <laughs> no. Molly, you you started to, I, I, could, I could feel the excitement coming from you. And I know that you love operating in the gray. So, so help me understand, how do you manage through ambiguity? Oh, that's a hard question. I think it's got to be authentic, right? And empathetic. How do you, what do you do, Kyle? <laughs> I do my best. Right? I think we're all just doing our best for sure. Figuring it out and just trying to be real. I think you have to commit to yourself and say it's okay that you're not always going to be right. Right. And that's okay. You got to commit though, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to commit and be okay to say, yeah, maybe we should have done that differently. And that's okay. You know, I think that's a great, um, that's an absolutely 100% accurate point. And I think to one of the comments that you made earlier, Patrick, you mentioned that some of the decisions were not the right decisions. But sometimes it's worse to make no decision than to make a decision that wasn't 100% correct or 100% right. Right. And then, then at that point, you've got a rudderless ship and where are you going? And, and, you, and then, you know, yeah. you have to be careful too, not to, not to be reactive or look reactive. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to make it appear in a way that your decisions are thoughtful, especially when somebody's standing at your door. Sneezing did, on you. Did you just tell? Did you did you just say fake it till you make it? I think that's what you basically just said. Just act like you know what you're doing. When I you just, have no idea. I just had a political <laughs> work around there to that. Yeah. Kyle, yeah. I asked you, but I really want to know because you are um, a part of a global organization, so you uh, have yeah. additional uh, challenges. So I, I really want to know the, your answer to that question. Yeah. So. Um, I, I would I would lean back on on one of the topics we've already discussed, and that was really the, being the connective tissue. Uh, so so my approach in managing through this entire situation has been very similar to managing my organization on a global level, 
prior to this because there are so many vast differences between uh, not just employee cultures and customs, but just employee locations. And as you look at the regionality of the COVID-19 pandemic, there is, if you do something in China and you're trying to be consistent with something you're doing in the United States, you're going to be making a bad decision and you may be violating a government order. Uh, so, so the, the managing through ambiguity has been critical uh, in, in my role and, and we actually have a location in Wuhan. Um, so I feel like I've been dealing with this for, uh, well, I have been dealing with this for half a year now, uh, but, but in, a, in very different ways. And so so I think the most the most critical thing is making sure that the team is connected, making sure that your team is talking to each other, uh, making sure that you encourage a conversation and, and potentially a little bit of robust debate in certain topics. And what I've found is that uh, for the most part, people's intentions are inherently good, but sometimes they need the the room to understand the perspective of others and understand the rationale behind a decision. And ultimately, as long as people understand that your intentions are good and they see that your actions match your words, uh, you, you're going to be just fine. Um, and, and the other thing is, from my perspective, I, I am the first to admit that I am not an expert. I, uh, you know, I am, I'm not a pandemic uh, risk management uh, expert, at least not as of March 23rd, 2020. Uh, but I quickly uh, acknowledged that and studied every single piece of information that I could and ensured that I leveraged other experts to help me make good decisions. So, mm -hmm. so I think it's, yeah, I think that would be my approach. One thing I took for granted during this whole thing is that my team just knew that I was researching and keeping up with everything, right? I just assumed that was obvious. And then all of a sudden my inbox was flooded with like, Hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see this? Did you keep up with this? Like this happened. Like, so in hindsight, I wish from the beginning, I would have said, guys, I, I, I'm committing to you that I will keep up with everything. Like I'm looking into this. I want to make sure that if, and when we do return, it's going to be safely. And, and I didn't do that. And I should have. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm curious, let's dig into that a little bit more. Tell me what surprised you, uh, Molly, as you started to to manage through uh, this disruption? An honest answer, and it seems so simple, but how dirty we all are. Like a lot of the things <laughs> that we're doing now and businesses are doing, we probably should have been doing anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, when you really think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, we probably should be wiping down after every customer comes in or after <laughs> we leave our shift. Um, things like that. I mean, it's very simple, but we should be doing some of this. So dirty, dirty martinis and dirty people. <laughs> if you have two takeaways from Molly Burgess today. That's me. That's me. That's what I got. <laughs> it's so true. I, I prefer to be blissfully ignorant. To how dirty all of us are <laughs> yeah and then you start paying attention to it and it's like oh god <laughs> patrick what surprised you as you've managed through this i don't know a few things some things that came to more light is i think how ungrateful some employees are uh, we didn't have to lay a single person off and we worked very hard 
and had very many meetings behind the scenes over our financials and looked at our financials in a different way where we didn't have to do that. And we created projects and we kept, kept people busy, but there were some of them out there that just didn't understand why they couldn't just go home and collect unemployment. Uh, and then, you know, on the flip side of that, how resilient people were, how people just stepped up to the plate and said, I'm appreciative of being here. Like you really saw people's true colors, I think, during all this, even the quiet ones. I think that's a comment that I would I would make as far as something that was maybe surprising, but I'm 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 an eternal optimist and I, I love to find a silver lining. But I would say that uh, to your point, Patrick, the resilience of of a team when you are all facing the same common obstacle or issue in front of you uh, and and in my organization uh, as as far of a span as we are apart from each other physically the connectedness of my team as we've managed through this crisis has been astounding and uh, you know I look at that as an opportunity to as an HR practitioner grab a hold of some of the things that are working and run with it Right. And I think I think we have an opportunity. And if if you're an HR person, and you're listening to this, my call to action would be take the learnings, take the good stuff and run with it. I think one thing I learned from you when you said uh, a long time ago, we were talking that working from home was tough, but you've been doing so many more face to face Zoom meetings. You feel a little more connected to certain people and you don't have the day to day interruptions. Right. Um, ever since March, when I got my Zoom license and pretty much 50 or 60 other managers and supervisors got theirs and we sent cameras to all of our outside plants. Every single meeting I do is a Zoom meeting. And I've seen my outside plant leadership in Florida, Minnesota and Utah and even sales people more in the past three months than I have than I do in a year. And it's been pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my, my comments on working from home. So it's a love hate relationship. Um, I love wearing uh, I love wearing gym shorts to work. Are you wearing pants? Uh, I am wearing pants. Yes, okay. I, I guarantee to the listeners out there. Don't worry, Kyle wears pants. Uh, but you know, it, it's it's kind of like uh, uh, it's like a reverse mullet, right? It's like a, you know, business on top, party party below, flip flops. It's all good. I love that, right? That's awesome. Um, however, I, I've traded in all of the employee relations concerns that come to my door and all the wonderful um, uh, communication that. Uh, that I get face to face when I'm sitting in an office with a uh, a, a four, six, and an eight-year-old who are like uh, domestic terrorists and have these demands uh, <laughs> pounding on the door, uh, and it's usually give me a give me a snack pack or a yogurt uh, or else. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm ready to get back in the office. <laughs> Those are real challenges for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's all. It's all good. So, so we've talked a lot about COVID, and I'll be honest with you guys. Um, I hear so much about it, and I've learned so much about it that I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. So, I want to talk a little bit more about some other disruptors, and I think one that is uh, that has really popped up lately that has prompted. I don't know if you guys have heard it, but there's there's been some questions out there about where is HR. So, Molly, I'm curious to hear what what steps have you taken in the uh, in the wake of of some of the protests and in, in, uh, in, in employee concerns related to inclusion and diversity? Yeah, it's a great question um, and a great topic. So 
our senior leadership team has been talking about it a lot. Um, we have been doing a lot of educating ourselves and a lot of just self-reflecting. Um, and I think that's the first step. But then at some point, it has to be more than more than talk, right? So, um, you know, we have reached out to a lot of our minority employees and said, hey, we're here to support you. How can we help? How can we be better? Um, we really want your feedback. Like, we're listening. We're learning. Like, help us. Um, so that's been good. I've been having a lot of conversations with um, the individual that does all of our pre-screens and hiring. Because um, one thing that I found when I was doing, you know, all my research and trying to educate myself is, um, oh gosh, I should have had this, the stat ready, but I don't. But essentially, individuals with black sounding names or even minority sounding names get a significant amount of less callbacks than somebody with a white sounding name. I mean, something like that seems so obvious. However, I would have, wouldn't have thought it didn't, it didn't cross my mind. So, you know, I've been having conversations with her and like, what does this process look like and how do we make this better? Um, just doing everything that we can. So those have probably been the two things that um, we've actually taken action on thus far. And I think it's going to keep going. I think a lot of good's going to come out of these conversations. I love that. Did you go to, uh, to blind resumes? No, I don't even know what that is. So blind resumes is a, uh, it's a, it's a tactic, uh, to, to address exactly what you just described, which is the fact that there is an, an unintentional bias in an interviewer with somebody's name who doesn't sound like theirs is how I would describe that. And so, um, a blind resume is simply taking the white out and whiting the name out so that whoever is screening that resume uh, does not have any idea what that person's name is. Now, there are still contextual clues within a resume that can indicate if somebody uh, may be uh, of a different national origin and, and those sorts of things, but at least getting that name off uh, has, has been shown to reduce some of that inherent bias in that type of a system. So. Mm-hmm. I would encourage that if, if that's something of interest to you or any of our listeners. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, you know, as I look at as I look at racism and systems and inclusion and equity and diversity, for me, as I look at our role in human resources, it's really about taking some really incremental steps, taking an honest assessment of ourselves and and realizing that the way that we do stuff is may just be a tradition that isn't necessarily related to selecting the best talent out there or making sure that we get the best person or the best fit for the job. I think the other aspect that I like is the argument of culture fit versus culture builder. Mm -hmm. And so just because somebody fits a culture doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to make your culture any better. It means they're going to fit in. And as we talk about disruption and managing through it, uh, in my opinion, the way that companies survive is by having the best talent. And you get the best talent by making sure you get people that build your culture. Yep. Where I think we really make an impact is when we stop listening and start doing. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that, that uh, my organization is committed to. My CEO uh, has made a commitment that we're going to do something. And listening and being empathetic is nice. But something needs to change. 
And, uh, and so there, there's a number of tactics, uh, and uh, we'll provide some of those resources um, as well through our, uh, through our resources, through Disrupt HR, Cedar Valley SHRM. Um, but one of the tools that I love is something called the Global Diversity Inclusion Benchmarks. It's a really easy read. It's only 90 pages of multiple PhDs, giving you a myriad of options and recommendations on driving diversity. But uh, the punchline is it's the, the research is already done. And if you're wondering what you might need to do, there's an assessment that you can go through. And you, if you rate yourself honestly, I guarantee you, you're going to find something. And, uh, and if you can find something, and even if it's something as simple as a blind resume, taking a, a conviction question off an application, uh, ensuring that your team gets some sort of training on uh, implicit bias or or cultural sensitivity or something as simple as respect in the workplace, uh, you know, even some of those little actions will prompt discussion. I guarantee it will be worth it. Molly, any last thoughts for our listeners? We all are in such a unique position where we can make an impact. And sometimes I think we just don't understand the impact that we can make. Um, but I really, really want HR leaders, people leaders, to just to know that they can make an impact and just take action and do something, do the right thing, um, and, and and lead through change. Lead through change. And dirty people like and dirty it. martinis. That's what I remember out of this conversation. <laughs> I like it. Patrick, what are your final thoughts for our listeners? You know, there's just been so much craziness going on. I'd say be there for each other. You know, HR, especially all you folks out there that are one-man show, they say, Department of One, lean on your Sherm colleagues. Lean on, lean on your friends. Be there for each other. You know, I love days like today where it's just a Monday. There's just a lot of stuff thrown at me. I have meetings. I'm ending my day having a conversation with two great friends and HR peers in our community. These are the things that make me go home and say to myself, I love being in HR and I love our group. Um, just extend the olive branch. For those of you that listen to this podcast, connect with me on LinkedIn or Kyle or Molly, send us a message. We will send one back. I mean, just be there for each other and, and, and be kind and be good. Love it. Next time, can we do this over a beer though? Yes. <laughs> My closing words, I think, uh, first of all, I just want to thank Molly and Patrick for joining us uh, as, uh, as we've talked about some really pretty, pretty sensitive and challenging topics, um, uh, doing some great things in their organizations and as well uh, within the community. So they're both humble, so they won't brag about themselves, but I'll brag about them a little bit. Great HR professionals as well as great friends. So really appreciate you guys being here. Uh, my, my closing thoughts, I like to think about um, – I just like to share a story about my week and hopefully give uh, give some people um, something to think about and uh, a little bit of a moment uh, of clarity. So um, uh, last week I had the opportunity to to travel for the first time. We have a location in Minneapolis, so got into a rental car uh, for the first time since uh, the <laughs> pandemic started. And uh, I just felt a complete moment of relief because the domestic terrorists that were asking me for uh, Gogurt uh, were no longer going to be asking me for it. Um, and as I was as I was on my trip and and going through some absolutely fantastic um, discussions and meetings and just reconnecting with some of the the individuals at that location, I was having a great time. 
at the end of my trip, I got a, I got a text message and my, my kids were with my, my parents having a great time, uh, nowhere near mom and dad. And I got a picture of my, my daughter, uh, riding a four wheeler on daughters sitting on the back of the four wheeler with like the biggest grin that you've ever seen. And, and just looks like she's in, in, in pure heaven. And I realized in that moment, first of all, I remember doing that when I was a kid on the farm. I, I realized in that moment that through all of this craziness and, and, and challenge as professionals, we've also had an opportunity to reset and reconnect. For me, that's been a reconnection with my kids who typically spend 45 hours at a, at a daycare uh, center uh, and as challenging and frustrating as it has been. Uh, the ability to make that connection, to make that connection with with uh, uh, individuals who are remote and going through stressful and challenging times in their lives, uh, being able to connect with them through work, and being able to connect with you in, uh, in this platform. And, and that's really what prompted the discussion to do something like this and to continue to provide content and support for people who, who need it. So my takeaway is connection, connect with each other, connect with your families, be thankful for the opportunities that you have. Thank goodness uh, that us on this conversation are all healthy and happy, and that's my that's my takeaway. I love it. Kylie, you're so inspiring. Next time, I'm going to send my kids to the farm with yours. <laughs> we'll just throw them in the goat pen. <laughs> yep. Feed the baby goats. <laughs> well, this has been fun. I appreciate you having us, Kyle. I can't wait to do it again. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast, Episode 1. Big thank you to our guests, Patrick and Molly. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed. Baby.